0: Well, good morning to you. Again, Rock Hill, it's good to see you. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn with me to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, if you're online, thank you for joining us as well. We're in the last last sermon of this semi, or this small series in the parables. We'll be going into a new series inside the Gospel of Matthew next week. Now, when I was a kid, I had the opportunity and the privilege of working hard for my allowance. Meaning, I got to make my bed, and I got to mow the lawn, and I got to put up dishes, and I got to take out the trash. All of that, which is very, looking back, just very cheap labor is what it was. My parents would give me a little bit of dollars, and I would be able to take that and collect it over my days. And generally, I would get on my bicycle on Saturday mornings, And I would make my way to two particular places in Ennis, Texas, where I grew up. One of them was called Good Time Charlie's. Good Time Charlie's is where you went to waste your money because you'd see this two-story building of comic books and collectibles all over the place. And I I was a huge fan at that time of Spider-Man because, I don't know, I have no idea. I, I really don't know. But I was a huge fan of Spider-Man, and so I'd go and I'd look at all these collectibles and see what I could buy. But then I began to find my way to another shop, which is on the main thoroughfare of Ennis, Texas, and it was this baseball card shop. And I say shop, but it was more like a closet, because it was in between two buildings, and I think it was this guy, he, I think he was the owner of the country club there in Ennis, Ennis Country Club, imaginative name, I know. And so we went to this, I'd go to this place, and I would just scour all over all his collectible cards, basketball, baseball, football. I just loved looking at old cards. Then I'd eventually decide which packet I'd like to buy, because that was the thrill of buying a package of basketball or baseball cards and seeing if I could discover one that was of great value. And usually, as you can imagine, I should have just lit the money on fire, because that was a better opportunity to experience something great than it was to find a card. But one day I opened up a set of basketball cards and unbeknownst to me, there's there's all these different basketballs. It was an upper deck card and 1993 upper deck basketball card and out comes this one card and it's particularly different than the other cards, you know, it's just kind of set apart. It's got a little pizzazz to it. And I open it and, and look at it and the shop owner looks at me and his mouth is open and he's He says, that's a unicorn. And I was like, that doesn't look like a unicorn to me. (laughs) He said, no, 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 that's a unique card. There's not many of those cards. There's only a certain amount of those cards and all of the cards that they produced. And at the time, and I think for all time, it was of the the greatest basketball player to ever live, Michael Jordan. And I have that card today. Uh, Still have it. Almost exactly the way I found it. It's not perfect by any stretch, so I can't put it on eBay or anything and sell it. It's more of a personal value. But this card was of great value. Now, in my innocent mind, I thought, oh, I'll be able to pay for college with this card. Uh, it's not worth like a book. But other than that, it's, it's of great value to me. Because it's one of those things where I didn't go purchase it. I, I found it in a stack of cards. It was of great value to me and I held on to it. My dad began to notice that I loved to collect cards and so for Christmas he'd buy me autographs of baseballs or footballs and then memorabilia and then, he, and then he'd buy me just collections of cards and I think somewhat he was living vicariously through me. This is what we do as parents. But then he was also mourning that he had taken all of his cards and put them on his bicycle to make it sound like a motorcycle. <laughs> so there was a sense of maybe maybe they'll be worth something one day but... I say all that to go in our parables today. We're actually going to see Jesus illustrate the pursuit of something of great worth and what you're willing to give up for it. We're going to see a degree of which two individuals are going to sacrifice some things in an effort to obtain that which is of great value. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 13. We're going to be starting in verse 44, reading through verse 52 today. And if you're there, will you say word? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. The kingdom of heaven is like, again, like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found the one priceless pearl, he went out and sold everything he had and he bought Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish, and when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, and gathered the good fish into the containers. But threw the old, they threw out the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age, when the angels will go out and separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They answered him, Yes. Therefore, he said to them, Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. There's three little pictures we get of the kingdom of heaven in our text today. The first one is simply this The kingdom of heaven is priceless. The kingdom of heaven is priceless. Now in those days, and even commentators to this day will assume what the kingdom of heaven actually is. Some will say the kingdom of heaven is Israel, some will say the kingdom of heaven is like the church, and some will say that it's something else, but I, I don't think it's those things. The, the kingdom of heaven, I think, is the rule and reign of Christ. It's salvation, but not just salvation, it's lordship. It's, it's understanding that he's worthy of submitting our whole entire lives under. We live in a time where we don't like anybody to rule over us. It's what makes Texas, Texas. It's what makes East Texas, East Texas. <laughs> However, there's a sense of which the kingdom of heaven is this grand submission to the lordship and the leadership of Jesus Christ as someone who's greater than yourself. And if, if God is omnipotent and God is all and God is all knowing if God is all these things, then shouldn't it just please us to submit all of our lives to him? And yet we spend so much of our days at war with this idea, at, at, at odds with God leading us or reigning or ruling over us. We learn in this first two parables that the kingdom is... It's priceless. Look what he says in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like, so again, he's doing a parable, so we ha- we have to be careful not to squeeze too much out of a parable that isn't there, but there's some points to be taken. The, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Think about treasure, things of of treasure is not really a word we use. We don't go to our house and say, "Oh, this is a treasure." We don't go to the bank and say, "Show me all of my treasure." We we don't do that. But but we understand the concept of a treasure is anything of great value, something that is worth pursuing, giving your maybe maybe even your life to to obtain. It's precious. It's a value. It's something you pursue. He says the kingdom of heaven is. Like a treasure. It's something of worth, of great value. It's something you should want to pursue. It's something you should long after. And and this man finds it buried in a field. And then uh, that that man who found it, he, he then reburied it. He said, I'm going to come back for this. And then in his joy, which we'll get to this in a second, he goes and he sells everything. Now let me ask you something. When he goes to sell everything, think about everything. It says that this man thinks about all the things he has. He takes every possession he has, and we don't know exactly how much that possession was. We don't know how great of a sum it was. We just know that this man took all that he had. He takes all of it. He sells all of it, and he goes to purchase that field. I don't know about you, but you ever seen the show Hoarders? Hopefully they never visited your house. I hope that hasn't happened. Some of us, though, have hoarding, hoarding tendencies, right? We, we tend to collect things that maybe we don't necessarily need. But growing up, we always would go into our, our garage at our house, and you had to walk down the stairs to the garage, and in the garage was a radio always playing the oldie station. We lived in that house for, my parents did for some 30 years, and I, I'm not sure that radio ever turned off until we unplugged it. We actually had a ceremony on the day that they moved out and unplugged that little radio. My dad would collect things in. Coffee jars, coffee tins, typically screws and nails, thinking that we might be able to reuse them at a later date. And I, I remember he'd always say, well, go look in the coffee jar to see if we have a screw that might fit this and, or a washer. And you'd, you'd put your hand in there and you'd basically get bitten by the screw. You'd come out bleeding. He's like, I didn't find a screw, but I'm bleeding now. Thanks, Dad. I'm going to go inside and get some tea. I mean, this is the hard life that we had. But he takes everything that he has, and he said, "It's it's worth me giving up all that I have because this thing is of such great value. I'm going to give it up. I'm going to give all of it up for the sake of that one thing." Paul says something interesting in Philippians 3. I want to show it to you real quick because it connects to this, I believe. He says, but everything that was gained to me I've considered to be lost because of Christ. More than that, I can also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing, you see it, the treasure here, surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I've suffered the loss of all things and have considered them as dung or rubbish so that I may gain Christ. You see the connection here. Paul here in this passage in Philippians 3 is describing not just hard things, he's describing even the good things that he's done in his life. He says, all the good things I've done in my life, you take all those, and then all the sufferings I've endured in my life, you take all those things. I've lost lost everything for the surpassing value, the, the treasure of knowing Christ Jesus, of gaining Christ. There's a great sense of which this man is willing to give up everything. And Paul is giving up everything so that he might gain Christ. He might gain the kingdom of heaven. That's what the kingdom of heaven is, isn't it? It's having Christ be your savior, but also to have Christ to be your Lord. For you to be satisfied only in him. You're giving up it all so that you might have him. The kingdom is priceless. Now back to verse 44. Again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in the field that a man found and reburied. In his joy, he goes and sells everything. You know, typically when we're holding on to things, when it comes time to sell them, we are just reluctant to let go of it. You ever had a garage sale? I mean, we have. And maybe if you're like me, you go, I didn't know we were selling that today. And I didn't know we were selling that. How did that get out here And it gets sold. (laughs) There's some things in this life that we hold dear to and we don't want to let go. But this man doesn't just begrudgingly let go of these things so that he might gain Christ. It says, in his joy, he willingly takes it all and gives it up so that he might gain Christ. He doesn't hold on to it and say, well, you can have a little bit of it, but not all of it. You can have some of it, but but I'm going to hold on to this part of it. He says, in his joy, he gives up it all so that he might have that one valuable treasure that he found in the field. How many of us are holding on to some things that we don't want the Lord to take because we're afraid of what he might do with? We don't trust him with these things. We don't trust him with our future. We don't trust him with the plans. We don't trust him with our children because we want to kind of control and manipulate the situation that works into our favor. When instead, he says, if anybody wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what he says in Luke nine twenty three. In his joy, so he's happily taking all of his possessions and saying, I I don't want them anymore. And I want the treasure that he provides and offers for me. Treasuring Christ above everything else. For many of us in this room, we legitimately struggle with this because we don't want to give up our things we don't want to give up our schedules we don't want to give up where we live we want to do what we want to do we don't want to submit to the lordship of jesus And he says in his joy he happily gave it all up oh if you could know how wonderful the presence of the lord is in eternity versus what we experience here you'd gladly sacrifice it all so that you might gain Christ. But let me tell you something, you cannot buy your salvation. Do not read into this, do not read into this parable as if you can take your possessions and if you're a wealthy man, you can go and sell everything and then you can buy the kingdom of heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, oh, if you just accumulate enough good things or you accumulate enough money or you accumulate enough influence, then you can trade that so that you can have the kingdom of heaven. That is not what Jesus is saying. We are not wealthy people who just have the right account number and then transfer some dollars into that account so that we might then get a return and, uh, of the kingdom of heaven. Instead, we're like poor beggars who are pleading on the heavenly king and Heavenly Father to give us that which we need the most, which is himself. He cannot buy the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is priceless. And worth far more than we could ever think or imagine. The kingdom isn't just priceless, though. He says something else. He says some pearls. So I want to get there just for a second in verse 45. He he says the kingdom is like a pearl that a merchant was looking for. He found that one priceless pearl. He went and sold everything. Again, everything. He sold it so that he could have. Again, the kingdom it's priceless. But he doesn't just say that. Look at verse 47, 47 and through 50. Here's what, something he says again, another parable. He says, it's like a, a large net thrown into the sea. He collected every kind of fish, and when it was full, he dragged it ashore, sat down, and gathered the good fish in containers and threw the other ones and the worthless ones out. Now, when I was a kid, my, my dad's parents, they lived, my grandmother still lives in El Paso, Texas. I think they had gone as far west of Texas as they could get. They went there, they were stationed there to do the military, and my grandpa worked at the, on the border patrol for many, many years after he retired from military service. They've always lived in El, El Paso, and during their time there, they, to get out of the heat, they, they bought a cabin, a little, little single wide trailer in, in Cloudcroft, New Mexico. We'd go up to Cloudcroft, New Mexico, and my papa would take us fishing, and so I had a little Snoopy fishing pole. I was an expert fisherman which meant I caught turtles and frogs. I didn't catch any fish. I mean, I was just, it was just so pathetic. But I I had this fishing rod and he would take us out there and we would fish in this little lake, a little pond lake and uh, up in the mountains. And we'd just have a blast with Paw Paw and we'd go back to the cabin and eat some of that fish. And it it just didn't taste like it did at Long John Silver's, but I still ate it anyway. (laughs) But since the first century, did you know that fishing hasn't changed? Since the first century, fishing is is quite literally the same as it's always been. There's three primary ways of fishing. There's there's a net, there's a spear, and then there's some type of bait with a line. It's the three primary ways of fishing. Now you say, no, wait a minute. I mean, we got technology. They got these GPS systems. You can find out where the fish are and how deep they are. I, I know you got all those things, and you still struggle to catch a fish. You say, well, wait a minute, we got dynamite. Well, I'm sorry, I'm here to tell you that Texas Parks and Wildlife 66.003 says you cannot put dynamite in the lake. (laughs) Don't ask me how I know that code. (laughs) But you're not allowed to put a dynamite stick into the water so the fish can get shocked or deadened and then you grab it. You can't do that. But there's three primary ways of fishing. It hadn't changed. Here in those days, they would... One of the primary ways that they fished was to take a net and they would sometimes d- drag it onto the bottom of the, of the water, whatever they were at, the sea, and they would pull it. Sometimes they'd pull it all the way to the shore. Sometimes they would pull it into the boats. We see an illustration of this when Jesus sees the disciples and they're fishing on one side. He says, hey, guys, go on the other side. they like, oh, go on the other side. Then they go on the other side. They go, oh, we should have gone on the other side. And then they have so many fish that the boat almost topples over. Here they give a picture of the kingdom, not just as priceless, but as exclusive. The kingdom is exclusive. We live in an age where people think that everybody gets to go to heaven, except for the really bad people. But here we're we're told very clearly that there's going to be a day where the net is gathered and it's going to be pulled ashore. And again, it's it's a picture of the end times. When judgment comes and the fish will come, and, and notice what he says. it says something interesting. He says, every kind of fish. You know what that tells me? That the prophecy that from every tribe and tongue and race, there will be people who are in heaven. Those that preach a false gospel that it's only one tribe or one race that gets into heaven, it's false. The kingdom of heaven is colorful. The kingdom of heaven is full of vibrancy and life and even we would say we want this church to look like heaven in our shades you think about this though it's every kind of fish he's he's given this picture that there's every kind of of human every kind of person that that can be is is included into this all over the world i think god is inviting people from all over the world to hear the good news and respond to it he drags this net up to shore but at judgment day, he says, at the end of the age, you see it. In the next verse, at the end of the age, they gather these fish in verse 49. We'll get there. Boom! There it is. At the end of the age, so this is at the judgment day. The angels will go out and separate the evil people from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is exactly the same language used about the wheat and the weeds from last week. I don't know how else to say this. I'm trying to say this with much compassion and tenderness, but to tell you that that hell is real and heaven is real, and only those who've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord for the forgiveness of their sins are allowed to go into heaven. And those who've rejected Christ as Lord, as exclusive Lord, singularly Lord, confessed Him as Those who reject that, they will spend, no matter how sincere, no matter how nice, no matter how kind they were, they will spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But those who've chosen to follow Jesus and respond to His gospel call, those who have confessed Him as Lord, they will be with Him for eternity. There's a sense of which the day is coming, and I don't know when that day will be. I don't have to know when that day will be. I just have to know that that day will be. He will gather. Those who've confessed Christ as Lord will be considered righteous. How is one man made righteous? Not by his own efforts. In fact, the writer of Hebrews will say this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Meaning that the only way for you to be made whole, the only way for you to be made found in Christ is to have confessed him as Lord. And when you do that, you become righteous, meaning that you begin to have, bear out fruit of that which you've confessed of him as Lord. You bear, bear out fruit that is seen. The kingdom is exclusive. And so he comes here and He again, he gives this warning to say, hey, look, you, you've got to understand that this is the reality for those who've been separated from God. I think we've made, to a degree, feel like you're a Christian too easy. Well, I was a member of that church. Last I checked, Jesus here in this parable doesn't say, well, let me see which church they were a member of. And we think membership is important. You've got to be part of a community. I remember when I moved to Belleville, Texas, Many years ago, over a decade now, and they told me that I needed to join the Lions Club. You heard of the Lions Club? It's where all the Methodist men were part of, older Methodist men, and so I thought I'd go evangelize the world by going and be part of the Lions Club. I had to go, and had to go meet with the president, and then they, of course, asked for money, so these are friends you pay for. It's just like a good fraternity or sorority. You get a vest and you would wear it to the meetings and if you didn't, you got fined. On your birthday, you had to stand up in front and pay a fine. I'd always skip May. They'd serve us a meal, it was the same meal every two weeks. It's lovely. But to be part of that club, to a degree, meant that you were part of that group. It required sacrifice and service. And I think some take church membership less serious than the Lions take the Lions Club. That's why we take a Next Step class. We have one today. It's an effort to get to know you and for you to get to know us so that we can understand who you are and why you want to be part of our church body. Because one day, at the end of the age, the net's going to be gathered. And you have to be able to answer, am I I going to be part of the kingdom, or am I going to be outside of the kingdom? The kingdom is exclusive. But then he does this in verse 51. He says, have you understood all these things? It's helpful when the teacher pauses for a moment and looks around and says, do you understand? It's the same way a math teacher will look at you and say, I don't just want to see the answer to the equation. I want to see how you got there. I used to always struggle with that because I'm like, well, all the odd answers are in the back of the book. Come on, teacher. If you didn't know that, you're welcome. And then we'd assign the even numbers. But anyway, we would have the math and she would say, you need to show me your work. Why? It's one thing to get the right answer, but it's another thing to understand how you arrived to that answer. And so here, Jesus is saying, do you understand this? I want to know, do you understand what I'm telling you? Do you understand the nature of this? Do you understand what the kingdom of heaven is like? And they all say, yes. And so he tells them in the next verse, verse 52, therefore, in light of all of this, every teacher of the law who's become a disciple, so he's talking about two Christians in the kingdom of heaven, is like the owner of a house who brings out of a storeroom treasures, there it is again, new and old. This is the same way when someone visits your home, you might give them a tour of your house. Say, hey, let me show you our house, or let me show you something of great worth, of great value to me. It's not a bad thing to do those things, but when you come, it's it's old things and it's new things that you're showing them. Hey, these are the things that I treasure. These are the things we enjoy. Jesus is emphasizing here that he's building upon what has been prophesied in the Old Testament, the laws of God in the Old Testament. What he's telling the disciples that we're not to dismiss the Old Testament like some are accustomed to do. I'm building upon it and showing you how I'm the fulfillment of all those things. This is exactly what he will tell them in Luke chapter 24, the greatest Bible study ever where he's talking to disciples after the resurrection. And he, he describes to them how everything from the law and the prophets of Moses all the way up were all, he fulfilled all of those things. The, be, the, reality, the reality is here is that Jesus is, is emphasizing the fact that we're not to dismiss the Old Testament like some do. We're to say, hey, no, this is building upon what we already know to be true. Kingdom is both new and old. Old and new. And so, I've said this before, but it bears repeating again. When we read the Bible, we understand that all of the Old Testament is pointing us towards Jesus. The Gospels are defining the life of Jesus. And then the the rest of the New Testament points back to Jesus. And then the book of Revelation points us forward to the return. Of Jesus. All of the Bible seamlessly shows us that it's about Jesus. That's why we won't ever describe the Bible as a, a field guide for planet Earth or an instruction manual. No, no, no. It's a book that's declaring to us about the God who can be known. So a few things as we think about that the kingdom is priceless and that it's exclusive and that it's both new and old, some of you today need to discover this truth, that Jesus is worth greater value than any other thing, that maybe for the first time today, you need to discover that this is what life is all about, that Jesus is worth giving your life for. He's worth everything. Some of you have been holding on for so tight to your life that You become consumed with all these other things that don't really ultimately matter. And you're going to have to choose. Will I choose Christ or will I choose my way? Some of you are hearing this today and you know Christ. It's time for you to share that good news with somebody else. The net is being drawn. It's our call to take the gospel to all those who have not heard and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. You need to share this gospel message. But then there's probably most of us we need to treasure the treasure we need to treasure the treasure we've treasured so many other things in our day whether it be work or a hobby they've become consuming in our life that we that's all we think about it's all we we read about it's all we do and it's time to take a step back pause and go am i treasuring christ above all of the things Am I choosing Him above everything else? Am I wanting Him more than I want life itself? Am I treasuring the treasure? For me, I'll find myself giving my time and attention, my efforts, my free time to a multitude of other things rather than to Christ. That's not to make you feel guilty or to feel bad. It's just simply to say, if I want to know how life is to be lived, I should be living my life in his word. Because when I'm in the presence of the Lord and his word, it's there then which I'm able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that I'm always measuring is what am I talking about? Because whatever I'm talking about the most is what matters most to me. So it's always good to take a pause and to step back and to go, let me am I treasuring the treasure? Because I want you to know that there's no better life lived than to be lived in God's Word. Is this not what Psalm 1 tells us? You know Psalm 1, it's a very famous psalm, how happy is the man who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, nor stand in the pathway of the sinner, nor sit among the company of the mocker. Instead, his delight, his joys in the lord's instruction he meditates on a day and night he's like a tree that's planted beside flowing streams and in its season his fruit bears out whatever he does prospers the wicked are not like this they're like chaff that blows away in the wind the lord looks over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked he does not look over they they will not stand in the time of the righteous, nor will they gather in the assembly of the saints. Instead, the way of the righteous leads to life, but the way of the wicked will lead to ruin. How happy, how happy is the man who delights in the Lord's instruction? What are you treasuring? Our problem in our country as there's so many other shiny things of which to treasure. But only he is of great value. This weekend, we got to go to Longhorn Caverns, if you've never been there. It's a wonderful place to go and get underground. Abby picked it out. We went, and they had discovered this cavern some years ago. And they thought when they went down there, that they'd found diamonds. You look up in the, in, the, in the area, and you see just all these Glistering things. They thought, oh, we found diamonds. We're going to mine these diamonds and be rich. Only to discover that it wasn't diamonds. It was crystals, but they weren't worth anything. They'd given up everything to purchase this area, to be have this area and even mine it and clear it out. But they realized that it wasn't worth anything at all other than just to look at. Some of us have given our lives to all the wrong It doesn't mean you need to quit your job or go do something else. It just simply means you need to reprioritize the treasure. Do you treasure the treasure? Let's pray together. Father, we come, and Lord, we want so desperately to be found in you. Lord, we're asking today if there is somebody here who has not trusted you, that they today would come under that conviction and respond to you. Father, for some in this room, they've been treasuring other things, but, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, we need to treasure you and you alone. Lord, help us to respond to you today. Help us to listen intently to what you're having to say to us so that we might respond in spirit and in truth. And Lord, for those of us in this room that maybe we've treasured other things, Lord, we come under that conviction and confess it before you today. Lord, we thank you for the chance to open up your word. And Lord, we ask now as we respond that we would respond in fullness of heart and mind. In Jesus' name.